Hello, hello, Discasters. How are you all doing today? I hope you're all having a wonderful week. Uh, I guess that's just going to be how I start the podcast from now on, isn't it? I mean, why the hell not, right? <laughs> I suppose there are worse ways to start the podcast. <laughs> anyway, I'm now I'm just thinking to myself. Uh, ooh, my brain. My brain is kind of wonky right now. It's I'm actually recording this quite late. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that uh, I was able to get all my thoughts in and everything and get this thing ready to go out this week. Uh, okay, so to start, of course, as always, uh, we've got some uh, Disney headlines. Uh, so kind of the main headline I think that's kind of important is uh, Disney seems to be pausing all theatrical releases anything and everything in Russia. Now, while I do think this is, you know, I suppose it's like the very least that they can do. I mean, I don't know. It's really hard because when you're like a big film company, like how, I don't know, like what can you do in regards to when there's like an invasion happening, right? I mean, I guess this is kind of like a thing, I guess it's a gesture. I don't know. Like there's a lot of that going around. There's a lot of like gestures going around in regards to uh, countries and businesses and companies very obviously siding with the Ukraine in uh, as opposed to Russia and everything. But I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. And this is something that I've just been noticing in general. When it comes to kind of major events like this, you know, um, why does it always seem like the support immediately does go to the white countries that are in trouble? Does that make sense? Because like, China, or they uh, they didn't do anything with China. In fact, like when the Mulan movie was released, you know, they actually like filmed in China for a portion of it and you know with everything going on with the Ukraine uh I'm I know I'm getting a little political at the moment but I kind of feel like I have to just because it's very much in the like in the media and in the zeitgeist at the moment but just when everything was going for example when everything was going on with like Israel and Palestine it didn't feel like people were as gung-ho about support about that as opposed to the Ukraine. And while obviously I myself am, of course, in support of the Ukraine and everything, I just can't help but notice the very obvious bias towards white passing or white uh, related countries and things and how there's so very obvious a blatant bias towards them even though other countries like Syria and um, and, uh, Israel and everything they're all facing the same thing and they've been facing it a lot longer than the Ukraine has and you just don't see the same outward support if that makes sense i mean maybe it also has to do with the fact that russia is like you know one of the world's major like major powers in the in in the world but still it just kind of i don't know it's more or less just leaving a bad taste in my mouth but regardless uh for example like the film uh turning red will not be released in russia so at the very least, I suppose, like, they're, sh- they're showing where their loyalties lie, I guess, if that, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. I support the Ukraine. I want that to be clear. Like, that's not a question. I'm just also noticing kind of other things around that, if that makes sense. Anyway, uh, other thing, or uh, actually, here's the statement from the Walt Disney Company itself. Uh, quote, given the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and the tragic humanitarian crisis, we are pausing the release of, the, of theatrical films in Russia, including the upcoming Turning Red from Pixar. We will make future business decisions based on the evolving situation. In the meantime, given the scale of the emerging refugee crisis, we are working with our NGO partners 
to provide urgent aid and other humanitarian assistance to refugees. So, you know, I guess at least they're doing something, which is good and which is nice. I don't know. Just whenever big companies do this kind of stuff, I'm always very wary about it because it's like, eh, is this performative? Are you actually sincere? What's the deal? You know what I mean? Any hoozles. Uh, next thing uh, is that uh, Disney Cruise Line reservation systems uh, to be uh, temporary sus- temporarily suspended uh, from March 7th to the 9th. So I, I don't know if that's going to affect uh, the reservations for the Disney Wish because I know that's kind of the big one that they're uh, pushing. Um so yeah, it just I, it seems like it's gonna be kind of just down for a couple of days for some sort of system update. It's just a tiny little headline, but I just it just caught my eye and I just remembered about the Disney Wish. Uh, but kind of the the next kind of big thing is the fact that March first is officially the day that Star Wars Galaxies not Star Wars Galaxies Edge <laughs> that already happened. Uh, the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser officially opens to the public. So, uh, last week, uh, they had some big media event or not events, but they had like, I wouldn't call them media event. Well, maybe they are media events. I think that's what they are. Basically they had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of media people come in and experience the hotel. They were able to stay for the hotel or stay in the hotel and experience everything. Uh, and so I've watched a couple vlogs or I've watched a, one vlog, uh, of, of someone doing the entire experience. Uh, it's about an hour long. Uh, it's really good, actually. I really liked it. And then another one from uh, DFB Guide, who they kind of took everything and then broke it down a little more concisely into, like, I think it's a short 20-minute video or something. Um, I will be posting links to both these videos in the show notes, uh, so y'all can take a look at it as well. I'm feeling better about it. I feel better about it after having watched these, like, all this information. It's very clear that whoever is behind the advertising for the Galactic Star Cruiser at Disney did a god-awful job. They didn't know what they were doing, and they like either fire that person or that person needs to go and do some classes or something and then come back. But they did not do anything justice. So what I what I saw from from these vlog or from all this information is that. Uh, Basically, you start the experience the second you arrive at the hotel. Like the second you pull up, even before you check in, you are experiencing the immersion. And they really drive that home. In that you are basically in a giant concrete box. You There are no windows to the outside. You don't see the outside until you land in Batu. Or until you do the like the half day visit in Batu, everything else is all screens and and uh, and projections, which for some might throw them a little because like you you lose all track of time like you have no idea what time it is because everything else outside is all dark because you're meant to be in space so it makes sense but it's still just very jarring I think it's very weird also. If you are somebody that's going to go to this experience and not be fully invested, you will not enjoy yourself because every single cast member and every single person on staff is in character and is invested. Everybody. The immersion does not stop until you check out, until you leave the premises. So you have to commit to it. You have to commit to the story. You have to commit to the fact that you are arriving in a Star Cruiser. You have to commit to the fact that you, to get to the Star Cruiser, you got to jump, get in a shuttle, take the shuttle up to space, and then you're in the Star Cruiser. And then all these people are, and like half these people are aliens. There are characters who are dressed up as aliens. Um, like uh, there was a clip of somebody dressed as a full-on Rodian. Like, and uh, that performer, uh, the Twilight performer, is there as a cat as 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 a character you can interact with her she's a live performer and you can interact with her so yeah and like there's story there's experience you see ray kylo ren like none, i don't think any of this is really spoilers uh but like or is it oh shit i should probably say spoilers well i mean i feel like you can kind of deduce like there will be stuff happening there will be experiences on um on the thing and the big thing that you need to do when you go there is you need to commit, right? Because it doesn't stop. 
and if you're not taking part in the stories, because there are like little stories that you can do all the time. And if you're not actively partaking in one of these sequences in these scenes, you have your data pad, which is obviously going to be your phone, which is attached to like the My Disney app, I think it is. And you're, you have these characters interacting with you directly on your phone. So the experience never stops. So you need to commit. And I think that's where you look at the $6,000 price tag. And not only do they need to make sure that they pay off everything because of the construction and actual fabrication of the thing, but they also need to make sure they pay these cast members. I hope these cast members are getting fucking bank because they are working their asses off. I've done immersive immersive theater. This shit is next level. Immersive theater goes for like a few hours. This is a full two and a half days. If you are not committed, if you are not invested, if you are not in character, it can break the whole illusion. And so these cast members are like, I applaud them. Like, yes, they have, yes, I'm sure they go through shifts. And yes, I'm sure that there are back areas that you can't get. Obviously, they, there are back areas you can't get into because it's staff only where they can go and take a break. But regardless, these cast members are doing the work. And so I sincerely hope that a good portion of my money that I'm paying, you know, hypothetically, if I were to actually do this thing, a good portion of the money that I'm paying is going to these cast members into their pockets. Them, the fucking, the, the kitchen staff making all the food. Apparently the food is really, apparently the food is quite good. It's not like fancy or it's, it's it leans a little more fancy because I think it's supposed to be, it's supposed to emulate like a, um, what's it called? Uh, like, uh, like a fancy, uh, cruise line kind of thing. And so for kids, there's not a lot of options, especially if your kid's a picky eater. So, or at least this is just from what I've deduced from what I've, uh, watched from these videos, but like all these cast members and then the actual like actors themselves, you know, who are playing the characters that you experience, right? Like again, immersive theater is not easy. It's hard. And it's especially difficult if you come across somebody, an audience member, who's just not invested. If they're not invested, that can fuck up your rhythm. That can fuck you up. And so, yeah, so these 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 cast members and these actors, they're all trying so fucking hard. And they're working so goddamn hard. And I, I yeah, and I look at that $6,000 price tag and I'm like, you know what? to help them and to pay for a lot of this it makes a lot more sense now and my my there, i did have a concern that with going into batu there wasn't going to be a lot but apparently the, the immersive experience actually extends into batu because there's actual things in batu that you can do that are directly connected to the tasks that you do on back on the ship so like the like the immersion never ends which you know is good and especially just from what i've seen um, because there are so many different scenes and experiences, you won't see everything, which is kind of what you want from immersive theater because, you know, it keeps things interesting and it's what the writers want because they want to have people come back and do different things. Right. So that's, that's just the point of that. Right. And also if you're going to have a hotel full of people, you want to make sure that there's enough shit going on that nobody is feeling left out and that everybody is doing something. You can choose not to join in if you really want to, but there's really not much for you to do. There are no real amenities. You can go and lounge and eat food and drink cuz it's all included, obviously, but or and you can go and like play sabak and stuff like that. So there's stuff that but that's about it. Other than that, like there's no pool, there's no gym, there's no spa, there's no nothing. Like there's no place for you to go and really wind down, quote unquote. So if you're somebody who likes to do, uh, like goes to, if you're somebody who likes to go on a cruise and just lie there next to the pool or on the deck all day drinking Mai Tais, you're not going to like this experience. Obviously $6,000 is not going to make sense to you. But if you're somebody who likes who likes Star Wars, who likes immersive theater, who likes games. Cause apparently a lot of this, a lot of what was going on in the hotel felt like a game and it makes sense. If you're somebody who likes that, who likes escape rooms, then that $6,000 price tag makes a little more sense. 
So my opinion of the hotel, I will admit, has slightly changed. And you know what? That's fine. I'm okay to be wrong because if it means that the thing that they've been trying to do, that they succeed, then you know what? The Imagineers have done their job. The writers have done their job. Everybody that's involved in that project has done their job right. And I'm glad for that because what we know what Disney, like the parks and the experiences are famous for is the experiences themselves, right? That's why we go to Disneyland. That's why we go to the parks because it's for the experiences to meet the princesses, to meet the characters, to experience the rides, right? That's why we go. So to go to this hotel and truly feel like you are in the Star Wars universe, you know, I think they, I think they hit the nail on the head. However, Again, it's entirely subjective, right? So again, I'm going to link these videos into the show notes and I'll let y'all ex- like figure your own thing out and see what you think. Um, uh, again, warning, the, the, the vlog itself, uh, which is, um, I'll, I'll let you know how long they are, but like the, the Star Wars Hotel review, the Inside Disney World's uh, Star, Star Wars Galactic Cruiser vlog is... Uh, about an hour long and then the other one from dfb guide is only about 20 minutes or so so uh yeah so that's that and uh yeah i mean like yeah would i do it i'm still up in the air about it i'm still up in the air whether or not i myself would do it and part of that is because not only would i have to pay for the hotel itself which is six grand for this day but I also need to worry about travel down there and flights to and from Miami or not Miami, sorry, Orlando aren't cheap because you're flying. I mean, flying from Vancouver, you're flying directly across the entire, the, the entirety of freaking um, who North America. Oh my God. I forgot where freaking forgot any hoozles, but yes. So there's that now. Now we move on to today's main topic, which is this Disney classic, Robin Hood. I had forgotten how fun this movie was. And upon the rewatch, I legitimately really did thoroughly enjoy it. Um, And I think part of that is because it fully takes itself seriously Yes, this is a Robin Hood story done with anthropomorphic animals, but it fully commits to it. Like it doesn't do anything. It, there are jokes and everything, but there aren't. But it doesn't feel cheap, if that makes sense. I mean, like it doesn't feel weird or silly. It it fully commits to it. It fully commits to the story it's telling, and it's great. And the animation's good. I mean, it's very again, it's very much the the similar animation that we saw in Aristocast, that we saw in Jungle Book, that we saw, uh, you know. In uh, 101 Dalmatians, it's very that. Uh, it's very clear that the animators were trying to cut as many corners as they could because we have a lot of segments here, a lot of sequences um, that are repeat animations, uh, especially in the sequence when um, everybody's hiding in Sherwood Forest and they're all singing uh, the song A Pox and the Phony King of England. There are so many. I was watching it and I was like, that's from Jungle Book. That's from Aristocats. That's also from Jungle Book. Jungle Book, Aristocats, Aristocats, Jungle Book. That sequence was from earlier in the same film. So, like, there are definitely moments like that. And I think for me, it was just super obvious because I've seen both Jungle Book and Aristocats so recently. And so it was very aware. I was just very aware of it. It didn't really take me out of it, though, because it still worked. Because the, the segments still made sense. Uh, within the context of the scene that we, that we were watching. Like, a lot of them were dance sequences and stuff like that. So it all very much made sense. Uh, so, yeah, like, I... Again, it really didn't... Uh, it didn't take me out of the film, which is what you want, which is the good thing. So, yeah. Um, I really like this movie. And uh, it's interesting because it, it starts off very, very interestingly. In that we start off with uh, the uh, we start off with Alan Adele, who is uh, apparently a who is a figure in the Robin Hood legend, uh, because of course this takes uh, this takes um, 
inspiration from the Robin Hood story. Um, yeah, he was just one of them. He was one of the Merry Men. He was a minstrel in Among the Merry Men. Um, it's interesting because uh, Alan had, uh, or a lot of the Merry Men of Robin Hood's Merry Men are actually absent from this film. The only one that's really there is Little John, which is fine. But, well, no, it's fine. Like, it doesn't really need... It doesn't they don't really need to be there if that makes sense anyway uh but yeah so you got alan adale who kind of who's played by the uh the rooster who introduces us to everything um with uh with a nice tune and then we get into this cool credit sequence uh where similar to aristocats we see a lot of the animation that's gonna that we're, we're gonna experience later they just kind of inserted them in uh this is also, I think, the first time we see um, in an opening credit sequence where we see the actual, like, character and then the actor who played it, if that makes sense. Like, it's an actual, like, like an actual card dedicated to the character. Uh, so, like, you'll have a picture of, you'll have, like, a quick little, like, animation of Robin and it'll say Robin Hood played by so-and-so. Uh, I think it was, uh, who played him? Peter Ustinov, I think? Uh, oh no, sorry. Brian Bedford played Robin, but that's what I mean, right? It's like character, name, actor, character, name, actor, and and they went through quite a lot of them. Uh, like I think they went through like the main cast, like the Mar- uh, Robin Hood, Maid Marian, Little John, Alan Dale, Firetuck, uh, Prince John, um, Sir Hiss. Uh, I think they also, uh, yep, yeah, uh, Lady Cluck, uh, Sheriff of Nottingham. And yeah, and even like Trigger and Nutsy, who are just like two kind of minor characters. Um, but yeah, but it was just very cool to kind of see that way of doing it. And all while the song is going on, uh, this the first song that um, that is happening uh, is just it's just called Whistle Stop, uh, which is which was written and performed by Roger Miller, uh, which then later goes into Udalali, which is kind of like probably one of my favorite songs in the movie. The songs in this movie are not as, I don't want to say they're not as iconic, but there's definitely not many songs in this movie that I think you would kind of hear in like a Disney compilation album, if that makes sense. Uh, The Bronze Age doesn't really have a lot of those. Um, Just kind of looking at the Bronze Age real quick. Uh... We're, we're dipping into something different with this one, I think. Because, like, just looking at it, like, um, yeah, like, Winnie the Pooh um, has, like, one, maybe, among in the entire film. And that's the one where he's, like, pretending to be a rain cloud. Like, that's the one that's kind of coming to my head. Uh, even Heffalops and Woozles, which is a song I know about, I can't even remember the melody of that one. Uh, the rescuers had like has a song in it, but I don't know what it is. It's a s- super sad one. Fox and the Hound has the one um, where it show where it's. I think it's done during the montage or not the montage, but it's definitely it during a sequence in which uh, uh, Todd and um, oh crap, I forget the other one. Todd was the fox, and then the hounds and. Uh, oh, is there right in the tip of my tongue and I forgot it, but yeah, but, the, but that's my point, right? Is like a lot of these movies don't really have musical sequences in them. They're very much narrative based. Um, the only ones that really have musical sequences in them are Aristocats, Robin Hood and Oliver and company. Oliver and company is kind of the, the, the one which is at the, which is the last one of the bronze age which is really the one that has or that brings kind of that concept back of having an actual like musical feel, if that makes sense. Um, Robin Hood doesn't really do that. Uh, but this, so yeah, so the songs are kind of, yeah. but that being said, um, it, it is definitely because of this movie that I use the phrase oodalali like in my, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in my vernacular. Uh, just cause it's like, it's just a fun thing to say. And they say it throughout the entire film. It's very much like kind of like the key word or key phrase of the film. Any hoozles. So yeah. So we basically start off with that being introduced to Robin Hood and Little John who are, as the song says, 
Robin Hood and Little John are walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. And so that's literally what they're doing. And then suddenly they get um, uh, ambushed by by the Sheriff of Nottingham and his archers, and they eventually escape. And then we kind of meet them, right? And, uh, of course, Little John is voiced by, uh, I believe, Phil Harris. Uh, yeah, Phil Harris, uh, who this is Phil's third film sequentially. Like he was in, he was Blue in Jungle Book, and he was uh, J. Thomas O'Malley in Aristocats, and now he's Little John in Robin Hood. And so it just goes through them kind of talking about like what they're doing and robbing from the rich, stealing, yeah, robbing from the rich to give to the poor, and you know that's kind of where we get an idea of who these characters are. Uh, and then of course uh, we we get a little bit of of exposition in in knowing about. Um, uh, oh no, not yet. No, no, no. They so they then they see the carriage that arrives in in Nottingham, uh, which which belongs to Prince John, and so they see it and they think, oh, this will be a good opportunity for us. You know, this will be a good heist. And so they go. They 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 both get in drag, which I think is hilarious, and I love that little John just fully commits to the bit. Like there was mo- there's a moment when he's like walking away with like a bunch of coins and and cash in his outfit. And like one of the guards sees him and just like wolf whistles at him. And he like fully he like bats his eyelashes and waves it. It's very it's very funny and very silly. Uh but like again fully commits to it. It's great. Uh and so they get dressed in drag as like um as uh uh fortune tellers. So Robin, uh, so the carriage stops. Turns out it's Little John who tells us that uh, King Richard has gone to the Crusades. Has gone to fight in the Crusades and everything. Uh, which, for those of us who know, uh, the Crusades were not exactly um, a good part of English history. Really not that. Really not. Really not nice. Anyway, regardless, so that's where we find out that, and so now, little, and so now Prince John has basically taken it upon himself to crown himself as king, which is interesting because I don't think he has that power. Like I don't think he can do that. Like technically, yes, he's next in line, but only he can only be crowned when it has been confirmed that King Richard has actually died. And so he's just kind of living this lavish life because he feels that he deserves it. And it's very much, it's, it's a lot of self-entitlement. Anyway, so the carriage stops. They see the fortune tellers. They invite, um, they invite Robin, who's dressed as like an old fortune teller, into the carriage. They play the, they play, they do the heist. They steal a bunch of, they steal a bunch of the gold and everything. And yeah, and it's, it's very, it's quite a funny sequence. Uh, and then cut to uh, Nottingham. And this is where we meet the sheriff. Now, uh, this is where we kind of understand the character of the sheriff, who is he's just a he's just a bad guy. Like they don't even try and make you like him. You just don't because there's nothing about this character that you like. There's nothing. He's an ass. He's an asshole. And yeah, like he comes to, like he comes to uh, the house of the blacksmith who has a busted leg. It's in a cast, which, for the record, in medieval time would not be a thing. His his whatever is broken, whether it's his foot, his ankle, his shin, whatever, would fully either be amputated. Or he would just straight up die. So, but we're suspending some disbelief here because he follows Friar Tuck into or to the the blacksmith's shop, and the Friar Tuck and Friar Tuck gives the blacksmith some some cash from Robin Hood. Uh, but then the sheriff knocks on the door. They had the money. The sheriff comes in, and like, can hear the money in the cast of the blacksmith and so he like lifts his leg up and like smacks the foot to knock every last coin out and it's just it's just he's just an asshole and i'm sitting there and i'm like this guy i can't he's like i can't like him i can't he's just a dick 
and then cut to a little bit later and it's like one of our uh one of like the younger characters uh who's like uh, a young bunny who's literally it's his birthday literally his birthday he's turning seven and his entire family who is very poor gives him a whole farthing now i don't recall what that's like the breakdown of of like medieval um currency but if i remember correctly like a farthing was like effectively like a cup a few bucks if it were to be compared to anything like like you know not not nothing right but of course in comes the freaking sheriff and he like just takes the kid's farthing he takes the kid's birthday present and then just fucks off like what a dick he's a fucking dick anyway in comes this this seemingly blind man just tapping his cane and going alms for the poor and then he fucking steals the alms from inside the guy's cup because again he's a dick and then he fucks off and then we find out that of course this this man in in disguise is robin hood and so as a gift to the kid he gives him his hat and a bow which i don't know about y'all but like if if the local folk hero gave me his hat and then like the tool of his trade i'd be like yo this is fucking legit like and because because robin is considered to be the hero of the people right so so yeah and it's it's all very sweet it's very nice he like you know uh you know you you see a lot of his character you see a lot of robin's character here and you can see that he's so very sweet he's a nice guy uh, he gives this family of rabbits uh, a bunch of money, um, and then he leaves. And so Skippy, who's the name of the rabbit, uh, or the little bunny, takes his friends out to test the bow because they're all excited. And then they go and they shoot an arrow directly into the grounds of Nottingham Castle. Uh, and then they go up against the gate, and there they see Maid Marian playing badminton with her uh, mate, with her lady-in-waiting. Well, I think it's supposed to be like a handmaiden type thing. I cannot remember like exactly what that title did. Um, uh, it's basically like a female personal assistant at court. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lady Cluck. And so they're playing badminton, which is interesting because I wasn't sure whether or not badminton actually went back that far. Like, I don't remember the origins of badminton. Um Oh, well, apparently it can be traced back to ancient Greece, China, and India. So there you go. So yeah, it probably came back from, uh, for like the spice trade or something. Spice tra- and the spice trade happened, right, at that point? Or am I wrong? I can't remember. My, 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 my history is really bad right now. Um, yeah, British Army officers learned the game about 1870. Okay, so no. So then this is definitely, like, way, way too early for badminton. Because this is, like, medieval era. But apparently, like, uh, badminton didn't actually leave, um, what's it called, uh, India until the 19th century. So, no, badminton was definitely not a thing at this point. <laughs> but, again, have to suspend the disbelief because we are also talking about a movie that has anthropomorphic talking animals. So, I'll let it slide. <laughs> even though it's historically inaccurate it's fine um <laughs> and so while they're doing that um skippy sneaks into like the courtyard where they're playing and like tries to grab the birdie but is found by Ma- by maid marion and he freaks out and he thinks that like she's gonna tell like prince john and he's gonna like get thrown into into prison and die or something shit and he's like and maid marion's like dude calm down like you're fine and then Lady Cluck comes in and she's like, oh, who does this little kid remind you of? And it's clear that they're referencing uh, Robin Hood because, of course, uh, it is here where we establish that Maid Marian and Robin Hood were young sweethearts. Now, something that they don't touch on uh, in this film uh, is the fact that uh, Robin, if I'm correct, uh that Robin Hood was actually a, um, he wasn't like a, he wasn't really like a noble noble, um, but he was still fairly high class, 
apparently I just did a little bit of fact checking and uh, no, he wasn't, he wasn't high class, but he held, uh, he was known as uh, Robin of Loxley, uh, which is something that they don't uh, make a point of saying that was his, his name. And uh, it's considered kind of part of like the yeoman class, which is uh, kind of just under like a gentleman or an esquire. So he, the yeoman class would be somewhere uh, they would still work within the castle as like guards or something like that. Um, And so, yeah, so they were like commoners engaged as household guards or raised as an army during times of war. So they were kind of like the foot soldiers more than anything else. Um, But yeah, but uh, Robin of Loxley uh, is kind of, the other name that I think people know him by, um, whether that's his true title, of course, it depends on which version you're talking about, because this is, this is also like an English folklore story. So there's like tons of different types of stories revolving around Robin, uh, Robin Hood and all these other characters. So it's really hard to truly pinpoint like a, a 100% truly accurate um uh, origin story because there are so many different types right because when you're talking when you're talking about folklore you can't really narrow things down as easily right and like especially because the fact that uh the origin of this film like the film robin hood uh by disney uh was originally inspired by an entirely different folklore story which is known as Rainer the fox which was a literary cycle of medieval al- uh, allegory like uh Dutch, English, French, and German f- uh, fables. So again, like who in this in Rainer in uh, Rainer the Fox the stories uh, is an anthropomorphic red fox, and of course here we have Robin who is an anthropomorphic red fox. So that was kind of the origin of that. But I think because they weren't originally able to kind of translate those stories well enough because they wanted they still wanted the target audience to be children, they went with Rainer the Fox melding with robin hood as a way to kind of do that so that's kind of where we have this version but it still definitely takes from a lot of the robin hood stories uh especially with the whole archery tournament thing because that's like the big part like that's the even me somebody who has never really read the robin hood uh stories the archery tournament is kind of the big one that's like the big story right uh anyway I'm jumping, but so, so yeah. And so, uh, but because of that, but because of his position, uh, it would make sense that uh, Robin and Marion would at least cross paths and perhaps they would have like this, not really a forbidden love, but it definitely wouldn't be um, encouraged. Uh, But in this, we established that Marion and Robin were like childhood sweethearts and they are like head over heels in love with each other. Uh, But of course, because of the with Robin being an outlaw, you know, Robin has kind of said he's like, she's never going to want me because why would she ever want the life of an outlaw? You know, running from the running constantly, always checking over your shoulder. That's not a life for someone who's as high class as made Marion, right? That's kind of his, that's his uh, motivation in this film, which makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I see his side for sure, but it's cute. And uh, so they see the kids, they all invite them in and they're all talking about him and they're all talking about her relationship with, with Robin. It's all very cute. And then they kind of play, they play with the kids, which is very, very cute. Like uh, <laughs> Lady Cluck, like, sword fights with Skippy and then like Skippy like stabs her because she's pretending to be the sheriff of Nottingham and she pretends to die. And he's like, what do I do now? And she's like, you take me and marry in a Sherwood forest. And they run into the bushes in the courtyard. And then it's so cute because it's like, it's very much how I feel like a kid, like a seven year old would do this is like, take him, take us. Okay, cool. So now we're in Sherwood forest. So now what do we do? He just they're just sitting there next to each other and she's like, Well, I would give my hero a kiss. He's like, That's sissy stuff, as a seven year old would most likely say, because gross, ew. (laughs) 
But then she's like, fine, if you won't kiss me, then I will kiss you. And then, like, grabs him and, like, gives him a great big kiss on the cheek. It's very cute. Uh, And then, like, uh, Skippy's, like, sisters and friend uh, and turtle friend are, like, all embarrassed and laughing at him because he's getting kissed. It's all very, very cute. It's it's a very sweet moment uh, in in the film i think it's very it's very adorable um but yeah and so then uh then we cut to them talking or sorry then we cut to uh robin and little john talking john is doing laundry robin's trying to cook but he's just thinking about maiden marion of course and that's kind of where we get that connection and everything and the fire tuck shows up tells him about the the archery tournament uh, and the fact that Maiden Marion will give the winner a kiss, and and Robin's like, well, I'm fucking going, obviously, um, but also because you know, <laughs> it's an archer tournament, I'm gonna win, and this is where we get a little bit of an insight into his skill as an archer, right? And so they agree. Uh, they also think it's it's not a great idea. I mean, like you think about it, it's so clearly a trap. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> it's just so obviously a trap. It's fine. And so they go. Uh, Robin dresses up as like as a stork um, to kind of hide his face and himself. And he's on like stilts and shit. It's actually very cool. It's actually very well done. Um, but like, yeah, it's because Prince John had like made this tournament blatantly as a way to capture Robin Hood. Um, and... Little John shows up kind of dressed all like froofy and everything uh, because he's supposed to be the Duke of Chutney as a way to kind of distract Prince John and keep an eye on him and everything. Um, and so uh, Robin sees Maid Marian as the stork, you know, shakes Prince John's hand, says hello to Maid Marian. They look at each other and there's a really cool moment in what they do with the animation and how and like you can see the connection like you can see the emotion that he's giving her and that she's giving him. It, it's actually very good. It's very good. It, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot. Of, it's just like Robin kind of gives her like a head tilt and a look through the eyebrows kind of thing. Like, and she looks and she knows and she catches. And she's like, Oh, because of course she obviously knows that Robin's going to be in hiding or in disguise. And it's just a very, it's a good moment and they do such a good job of it. Like, of um really conveying the emotion and the connection without with barely a word it's just very it's so good it's so well done just ah it's so good anyway so the tournament happens everybody's shooting their stuff the little turtles dad is part of the competition it's so cute he like shoots his arrow and then his kid's like yay dad and like oh that's so cute this boy your dad in a tournament, he's just not going to win, but what the hell? It's still cute. Anyway, so, of course, Robin does the thing. He gets to the finals. It's between him and the sheriff of Nottingham. Nottingham, uh, Nottingham uh, sheriff cheats, but, of course, Robin comes out ahead. He wins the tournament. But in winning, he effectively exposes himself. And so when he's right before, right about to receive his reward, he's getting... Uh, He's revealed to be Robin Hood, and then he gets chained up and everything. Um, and he kind of makes this big announcement about, like, you know, that ki- that crown doesn't belong to you. It belongs to King Richard. Long live King Richard. And then, like, everybody joins in the chant for uh, for Richard. <laughs> and he's, like, telling him to go and die because he's now just going to be executed. Um, but they stop because Prince John just says, stop. And he's like, what's happening? But in reality, uh, from behind the tent that they're in, little John is like behind it and like has Prince John at, at a dagger point. Uh, and then what ends up happening is just a big scuffle. You know, there's a big fight. Robin's fighting a bunch of people. He sees Maid Marian again. They're talking about their future together. It's adorable. He's like, will we get married? He's like, he's like, Marion, will you marry me? She's like, of course. And he's like, it'll be great. We'll have a great you know, great life. We'll have, uh, we'll have eight children. And, uh, and she's like, we'll have more, we'll have 16. And I'm like, Oh, but wait, because they're foxes, they have like a litter of pups. 
So yeah, they could. It would just be like two cycles of, like two breeding cycles, really. Anyway, it just it made sense, logical sense in my head because of course, uh, like canine breeds, uh, breed multiple pups, right? So that's just the thing. Like yeah, they could easily have like eight or sixteen kids. It would just have to be like two breeding cycles. It's fine. So it just it just was it just one of those things that just like made sense in my head in the moment. I was like, oh, that's actually very. Like, whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. But I still think it was a very good... Uh, it was just still very good writing, in my opinion, I think. So, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so everybody is, like, fighting, uh, fighting, fighting, fighting. Um, <laughs> there's a moment where, like, Lady Cluck is, like, charging through a bunch of these rhino guards, but... The, but they kind of play a little bit of like football esque music over top because she's very much acting like a football player, like a full on linebacker. It's very funny the way that they did it. And then like all these, uh, a bunch of these like uh, rhinos end up in a tent and they're like charging around. Um, it's a, it's, it makes for a very fun sequence. Uh, eventually of course, every, uh, everybody escapes into Sherwood forest. Uh, and that's where we have the bit, this very big, like fun, uh, dance number. But not before Robin and Marion share a beautiful romantic evening amongst the the moonlight and they're there by the river and it's cute and it's romantic and there's a really, really sweet song called Love, uh, which is uh which was written by Floyd Huddleston and George Bruns. Uh sung by Nancy Adams. It's all very cute, and then suddenly BAM! They're all surprised by, by, by the merry men, uh, and then everyone's um, everyone's celebrating. Everyone's having a great big party, and then that's where we get the song "Phony King of England," uh, which is you know just a super fun song, basically just making fun of Prince John. It's great, and so and here is the sequence in which we get to, is in which we see a lot of reused animation. Now again. It makes complete sense why they did this because the because the the Disney company was like you know not in great it was just not doing great uh, financially and so they had to cut corners and part of that was through the actual style of animation that ended up becoming pretty famous that like like the style of animation that they were doing with like the xeroxing and everything because there's moments in this where you see sketch outlines and everything right. It's just what happens. It was just the it was what they were forced to do, but it ultimately became like a style of animation that was that remained prevalent pretty much until I want to say probably Great Mouse Detective. I feel like the Great Mouse Detective it wasn't as prevalent. I think Great Mouse Detective was a little bit cleaner, um, but Oliver and Company was definitely sketch. Like, I say sketchy, not in the negative sense, but in the sense that the animation looks like it's a bunch of sketches kind of thing, right? Anyway, but that's very much what, like, this a these sequence of films is pretty well known for, of course, starting back in 101 Dalmatians. Now, yeah, so you see a lot of this repeat animation and everything, but ultimately the, the sequence is very fun, uh, the song is fun, everyone's having a good time, it's just really, really good, and then kind of fades out. And then we cut to... Um, Sir Hiss, who's counting the gold, he's counting the taxes because he's a dick. Well, no, well, Sir Hiss is just kind of present. He uh, is very funny moments when he's like talking into uh, Prince John's ear, but because his tongue goes weird, <laughs> Prince John says, "His, his, stop, his, stop hissing in my ear," and it's just very like. It's funny because he's supposed to be like an advisor to, to Prince John, I think, something like that. He's very, he's very close to Prince John in a way. And so him saying that is very apropos uh, because of that. And I just thought it was very funny. Um, anyway, but like it just it's just really shitty because like all these taxes and everything are are put on the people by Prince John and the sheriff is enforcing it. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't do his job, but what I'm saying is that maybe he shouldn't be a fucking asshole about it. Because it doesn't feel like what he's doing is actually collecting taxes. It just feels like he's like, oh, these people have money? Cool, I'm just going to take it. 
You know what I mean? Like, there's a way to do this thing, to do these kinds of things, but it's just not, and I don't know. All these people are bad. They're shitty people. They're just shitty monarchs and blah, blah, blah. And blah. Fuck the sheriff. Anyway. <laughs> and so, uh, Prince John kind of hears about the song and he's all pissed and everything. And he finally, like, he decides to, uh, raise the taxes again and just like it fucks everything up like it fucks everyone up a bunch of people are forced to leave and if you don't pay the taxes then you're sent to prison that was it and we see a lot of these characters being thrown into prison and there's a moment when the sheriff goes to the church to friar tuck's church and uh friar tuck has there are these two mice that live in in the church and of course they're uh they're preachers there like the the male mouse is i think one of the i think he's a father and then the lady mouse is a sister in the church and stuff and um they give a farthing to the poor box this is a box for donations right but in comes the sheriff and he just straight up takes that farthing from the poor box. And it's at this moment that Friar Tuck is finally done. He's like, you know what? That's it. Get out of my church. And he like full on like belly smacks him right out. They're fighting in the rain outside in the church. Like he's got his stick. He's just whacking away. And he's getting all pissed and everything until eventually, unfortunately, Sheriff wins and then puts him in chains. And then he's arrested. So Friar Tuck is arrested. Then we cut to... Uh, Prince John, who is real grumpy. He's surrounded by the he's surrounded by money, but he is staring spitefully at the fire. And Sir His is trying to figure out how to how to like cheer him up. He's like, "Do you want to count your money again?" Blah blah blah. Oh, did you hear? Friar Tuck has been impri- has been uh, imprisoned. And he's like, "Friar Tuck, I don't want Friar Tuck. I want Robin Hood." And then he gets an idea. Oh wait, hold on. We have Friar Tuck. We're going to hang him in the morning. And then when Robin comes to save him, that's when we'll get him. So he effectively uses Friar Tuck as bait. So what ends up happening is the sheriff, as we cut to a scene where there's like in the courtyard in Nottingham Castle, uh, or at least one of them, there's a gallows. And we see uh, Trigger and Nutsy there hanging out. And the sheriff is making the noose. And in comes the blind beggar man, a.k.a. Robin, of course. We know that. They don't. And so he's, like, trying to figure out. It's like, hey, what's going on here? Like, tapping the thing. Also, it's just very weird that a random blind man would just waltz right in. And they don't think a second up. And they don't think anything of it. It's just like, that's not. that. That's not. No. No. Their first question would be, like, why are you here and how did you get here? Like, those would be their first two questions. But anyway. And so he's, like, asking, like, what's going on or whatever. And then um, uh, I think Nutsy lets it slip that they're going to hang Friar Tuck. And he's like, oh. And, like, what, and uh, he's, like, try, and Robin's trying to play it cool. He's like, oh, what do you, do you think you're going to do if Robin comes to try and stop it? And, like, and they just kind of answer, you know. It's like, oh, that's when we're going to get him and everything. And he, like, and then Robin, like, starts to um, flatter the flatter to the sheriff and everything telling him it's like oh there's no way he's gonna get back to the get past the sheriff blah 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 and that's kind of how he kind of worms his way like back out without getting fully caught and stuff like that um but then once he's out he talks to little john he's like fire talk's gonna get hanged in the morning we need to get him out now and so they wait till the dead of night uh then they do a uh like a little bit of like like a jailbreak um, which is actually fairly successful, but while John, while little John is doing that, while he's like distracting uh, Nutsy and Trigger, uh, and uh, helping people inside of the jail, Robin goes up to Little John's room—not Little John's room, sorry, Prince John's room—and starts to steal the money. He like takes an arrow; st- he takes an arrow, ties the rope to it, shoots it across the way to the prison and then little john hooks the hooks the rope against like a uh, like a loop sticking out of the wall 
shoots it back to Robin, and they make like a like a freaking like almost like a clothesline, like a laundry clothesline type deal, where Robin is just putting bag upon bag upon bag of gold, just like down and taking it and giving it to the people in the prison, so that little John can give it to them. It's it's very fun. It's very it very much feels like a fun little heist sequence. Um, because there's moments where Lil John, of course, is sleeping in his bed. There's moments where he's like almost awake, almost waking up. Uh, Sir Hiss almost catches him and everything. And it isn't until the very end, after the last bag has been transported, that uh, Sir Hiss finally sees what's going on, and like, <laughs> like wraps himself around Lil John's ankle, and like grabs the last bag and like with and like uh reaches out because he's a snake like bites the last bag and then out comes old john in his bed and he's like hanging uh like on on the edge it's very very funny it's a fun little bit of physical comedy there um but then yeah so they everybody's got their bag of gold and everybody runs uh robin ends up uh unfortunately kind of stuck inside and so he's forced he's forced to kind of fight his way up to the top of one of the towers that's now set on fire uh, by the sheriff and he has no option but to jump into the moat and once he does that then he's getting bombarded with arrows and then we see him fall sink into the water and then all we see is his hat come up with an arrow through it and then it sinks back down and little john and skippy are on the other are on the other shoreline and they're like oh no and so they think that robin has died uh, and so do Sir His and Little John, or and Prince John. So they're so they're happy. Little John and Skippy obviously aren't until they see a little reed going through, and then turns out that Robin is actually alive. He survived. Uh, and then they yell back at uh, Prince John, uh, who's now just furious, and Sir His has to bring up his mother because apparently he has mommy issues. Uh, <laughs> And uh, apparently it was his mother's castle. So he's all super, super sad and pissed. And now he's like trying to kill Sir Hiss. And then cut to the next day when everything is all fine and dandy. Because, you know, King Richard has returned. Uh, King Richard has pardoned uh, Robin Hood. And now then we cut to scene with Robin and Marion getting married. And it's all very sweet. And then... Uh, yeah, and then everybody just kind of lives happily ever after because uh, the sheriff, um, Sir Hiss, Nutley, Trigger, and um, Prince John are in like the in like the stone fields, just like hammering at rocks, you know, kind of like what the cl- classic cliche version of prison, I guess, was at the time. Um, but yeah and that's kind of where we end the film we end the film with robin and marion riding off into the sunset you know all happy and shit yeah and that's the movie i really enjoyed it again like it's a very fun sequence or it's a very fun film the cool thing about it is that like i noticed that there is uh there's no real overarching narrative it 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 very much feels like little sequences that they kind of link together or that they made link together, but they made them link together so well that they didn't feel disjointed. It very much felt like here's, here's an, uh, like here's a plot sequence. Then this plot sequence is connected to this plot sequence, which is then connected to this plot sequence. And like, I, I understand that that's kind of how narrative in film works, but it doesn't feel the same. If that makes sense, it really feels like they took like, here's a short here's uh, here's a short story from the Robin Hood's from the Robin Hood tale. Let's put it here. Here's another short story. We'll put that here, kind of thing, right? But again, it doesn't feel weird. It feels it still all feels pretty natural and normal. Um, so that's nice. Uh, nothing again. Nothing just feels out of place. Uh, the writing is fun. There are some very fun jokes. Like it's quite funny. Uh, yeah, and animation-wise, again, it's very similar to what we've already seen, so it's not anything crazy. Uh, and yeah, I really liked it. Uh, budget was about $5 million. 
uh, box office made $32 million, so something tells me they did something right. And also, uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but like this movie was very much, uh, and I know this because I have friends who are furries, who, who are uh, older generation who are furries, who all kind of saw this movie and it very much awakened that for them, if that makes sense. And in watching this film, I'm like, oh, I mean, I can get it. Like, Robin, he's a, he's a handsome fox. Personally, no. None of them are my type. None of them are for me, but that's okay. It, it works for other people. That's okay. But it's just very funny that this movie just kind of did that. I just think that's very funny. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, production of this film was originally supposed to be about Raynard the Fox, uh, which was which had, which was kind of on the table uh, since like Snow White. Uh, Walt became interested in adapting the stories, uh, but he didn't think the he didn't think it was a suitable hero uh, because he didn't think that uh, he thought that they were too sophisticated. That the stories were too sophisticated, and he wanted to keep uh, the audience of kids and parents. If that makes sense, right? Um, he was concerned that they were going to take a nosedive doing it with animals. Uh, he thought about doing the Rainer Tales in Treasure Island back in 1950. Um, like he was going to make it so that Long John Silver was telling these stories as moral fables to Jim Hawkins, very much like what he did with Song of the South, like how um, he he uh, interwove the stories of. Uh, Br'er Rabbit within that film very like basically that that idea uh and uh and yeah uh ultimately of course the idea was nixed for Treasure Island uh and which then became the studio's first fully live action film uh in the next decade the studio decided to make Raynard the villain of the musical feature film named Chanticleer and Raynard based on uh, Edmund Rostin's uh, Chanticleer, which is uh, a verse play. Uh, but the production was scrapped in favor of Sword in the Stone. So we almost got him again. Uh, and then in October of 68, during a fishing trip with Ken Anderson, uh, studio executive Card Walker suggested that a classic tale should be the subject for the next animated film after the Aristocats. Uh, Anderson proposed the tale of Robin Hood, to which uh, Walker responded enthusiastically. Sure, because who doesn't love Robin Hood, right? And Robin Hood being in the public domain and everything. Back at the studio, Anderson relayed the idea during a meeting, uh, during a story meeting in Aristocats, which, of course, everybody agreed to. And then uh, people decided to explore animal character drawings with it. Uh, and that's where they kind of incorporated the aspects of uh, Rainer Fox into Robin Hood. Interesting thing is uh, the reason we don't have the Merry Men in it is because, uh, uh, oh, what was his name? Ratherman? Uh, who was, uh, Wolfgang Ratherman, sorry, uh, who was uh, one of the writers of the film, uh, wanted more of like a buddy picture kind of thing between uh, Robin and uh, Little John. So they that's why they only really kept uh, Little John, uh, even though Friar Tuck is considered to be technically um, uh, one of the Merry Men. But yeah, so that's why they decided to, because they wanted it to be more of like a uh, a buddy film. Sorry, not written by, produced by Wolfgang Ratherman. My apologies. And so yeah, so that's Robin Hood. Uh, I really like this movie. Honestly, I give it like an 8 out of 10. It's very fun. It's very good. Uh yeah, it just, yeah, it's good. Like, there's not much more I can really say about it other than it's a good movie. It's very fun. It's well worth the watch. Uh, highly recommend it. Highly, highly recommend it. It's very fun. It's definitely kid friendly because like the characters are super fun. You've got a lot. Of, you've got a couple kid characters in there, like with Skippy and his friends and and family. Um, just Robin is just an exciting character. He's fun. He's, uh, he's he does the right thing and all this other stuff. So. Yeah, it's a great movie. Highly, highly, highly recommend. There's a reason it's a cl it's one of the classics. And yeah, so next week, next week we are t 
taking a look at if I'm right, it is Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Winnie the Pooh. Now, th- th- this next one is going to be very interesting because it's very like we're talk- like talking about like segmented filmmaking. Fucking Winnie the Pooh is like is like the epitome of that. Anyway, so we're going to look at that and I'm very excited about it. Uh, there's a bunch of other films that kind of revolve around Winnie the Pooh. Um, it's also, uh, it's also interesting because technically Winnie the Pooh, the character is now in the public domain, except for the fact, except for the fact that the specific, uh, version of Winnie the Pooh that we know from Disney, like the, the teddy bear with the red shirt, that's copywritten. That version is copywritten, but the actual stories of Winnie the Pooh isn't. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Anywho. So yeah, so next week we're dipping into Winnie the Pooh, and I'm very excited about it because it's very cute, it's very fun, and who doesn't love Pooh Bear? Anyway, okay, so until next time, uh, I'll chat with y'all later, and I'll be in your ear holes later, and uh, drink your water, eat your food, take your meds, take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and don't be an asshole. There you go. That's my last lesson for you. That, I think, should be the lesson to be taken away from this film, is just don't be a dick, don't be the sheriff. Don't just take people's money. Anyway, I I digress. Uh, Bye, y'all. I'll chat with y'all next time. Bye.